Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Almost live from the trenches of New York City, here are your middle aged warriors, Chris Samino and Rick Summers. And welcome to Middle Age Warriors, show number 41 with Rick Summers, me, and Chris Samino, him. I like 41. That's a good number. It is a good number. Seaver's number. Tom Seaver, yeah. The franchise, number 41. And there's actually, although only the Dave Matthews Band fans out there will know, there's a song which is one of my favorites and a lot of fans' favorites, and it's called 41. 41? Really? Because <laughs> it was the 41st song they ever wrote. Oh, really? They couldn't come up with a name for it. <laughs> that explains a lot of things about that band, but that's a whole other story. But uh, we've got a great guest today, don't We're we? We're action-packed. Yeah. Our guest today, actually, though, uh, is somebody who's been on 60 Minutes, West 57th Street, uh, ABC reporter, The View, Dateline, Today Show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? So if you don't know who it is yet, hang on. We're going to get to our special guest. But first, oh, we've got an ad and a sponsor right now that I know my mom is going to love. It's all about making mom happy, right? Absolutely. Hey, think about it. You got some great photos on your phone, but what are you going to do with them? Well, if you don't have free prints yet, you got to get it. Free prints is a free app for iPhone and Android. And it lets you print all those photos for free. Mm. Hence the name Free Prints. I like it. You get 1,000 free 4x6 photo prints a year. And all you pay is a small shipping charge. You can even print photos at other sizes for next to nothing. All you've got to do is select the photos you want to print, choose the sizes, and you're done. Your premium quality prints will arrive on your doorstep in just days. Go for it. Yeah, Free Prints is one of the world's favorite apps. Download it now at freeprints.com and start enjoying real, professional, quality, free prints. No subscriptions, no commitments, just free prints. And again, that's go to freeprintsoneword.com to get the app and your thousand free prints. We got to do that. It's on. Well, here she is, our very special guest and, and a friend as well and a co-worker and way back in my career. Uh, I won't say way back in your career, but it's Meredith Vieira. Meredith, hey, it's so good to have you. Hi. Thank you. Yes, we've all been in the trenches together. <laughs> yeah. A studio audience of three. There you go. That's and, counting the dog. Of yeah. But of course. Uh, let, let's start with the present. So how are you and the family and, and dealing with what we're all dealing with how are you holding up yeah you know what we've been okay um thank god we're we're lucky i, I don't like to complain because we have a a roof over our heads we've always had access to meals mm -hmm. um where you know we've been able to hunker down comfortably it i don't think that psychologically it's as easy for us but certainly in terms of just day-to-day -day getting getting through it we've been we've been fine mm -hmm. uh nobody my oldest son ben last year called us one day I think before this whole thing really erupted and he said mom he was with his girlfriend Carsten he said mom it's the weirdest thing we're having Thai food and we can't smell it really? said, and we can't taste it and nobody knew about those those being potential symptoms right. of COVID-19 I said gee that is that's wow. weird and then I, then he developed a fever and he, they, they both got through it quite easily um, in comparison to my God, all these people who are, who've been hospitalized um, or lost their lives. So he had, True. they had probably relatively mild cases, mm -hmm. but that was uh, a bit of a shock. And they had COVID-19, they tested positive for months later, wow. although they had built up the antibodies. Yeah. 
and they've mm. now participated with donating plasma and all of that. But um, th- they had it. But other than that, nobody else in our, we have two other children and their significant others. And, um, and then my husband and I, none of us have, we've been real, we've really listened, listened to Dr. Fauci. Mm-hmm. He is like our hero. And yeah. <laughs> we followed the science and that, that was mask, the voice. Double mask. Double mask. Isn't it amazing how well-versed we've all become with this, the new jargon of plasma and pandemic and, and things that, you know, never were part of our uh, lexicon before. On a daily now. basis anyway. Yeah. 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 Well, you have you have no choice but to do right. that and um, to, to educate yourselves. And it's also a moving target. Sure. Um, you think you know it, and then there are these variants or whatever. Things happen along the way that, that force you to, you know, re-examine what you're dealing with. So it's a it's a never-ending learning experience sure. for folks. But we we've, we've been really really careful. The one loss for our family, and it's such a minor loss in the scheme of things, was that our son, our middle son Gabe, and his um, fiance Ali was supposed to get married Labor Day, last Labor Day. And of course mm. they couldn't. And I'm not sure that it'll happen this year. You know, they've rebooked yeah, the venue nice. and all of that, but, but it's health first and safety first. And, sure. and we're sort of saying to them, why waste the money? Just, you know, <laughs> right. Absolutely. There's, there's your window. There you go. Exactly. Wake up kids. Yeah. Smell the COVID coffee. And, you yeah. know, <laughs> don't do something smarter with your cash, but, but at any hand, it, that'll be what it'll be. But that was the only thing. And that happened to so many. They're of that age where sure. young people are getting married. Oh, yeah. So so many of their friends sure. also had to, postponed or greatly uh, changed the, the the look of their wedding. So let me ask you this. Are you happy you're not involved in the news world right now in this uh, time frame of, of what's been going on and that you're a game show host and it's a lighthearted thing that you're doing? Or would you rather be in the trenches at this point? You know, Chris, people ask me that and I'm just, I'm a little bit of both. You know, mm-hmm. if you've got news in your blood and we all do, we're all, you know, having been in media, whatever it is, you've got that that information bug, basically, sure. you seek it, you're interested in it and communicating. And, and I do, and this is such a historic period that we're in, but the other part of me, the, just the, the, I don't know what you want to call it, um, particularly in the political scene, the poison we've lived through and the mm. anger and the hate, all of those things have damaged my psyche tremendously just from the outside. I don't know that I would want to be in enmeshed in it or engulfed in it day after day after day uh, I, i'm sort of glad to have a little bit of distance to be honest with sure. you so it's it's both well, once you're a workhorse you're a workhorse as well, a it's in your blood. you, know, you it's, hear the it, bell yeah. it's right. in your blood yeah, yeah you go when the bell rings but uh, uh, i've done it i'm glad i had that experience <laughs> right. at a different time in my youth in my life and and i really love Hosting twenty-five words or less. I did. I did something similar with Millionaire, and I, mm-hmm. you know, everybody makes their contribution. And and I've had. I remember when I first um, did Millionaire all those years ago. People said, "Well, why would you want to do that?" Mm-hmm. I thought, "Well, first of all, it's an iconic show. Why not?" <laughs> True. And secondly, it's one of those jobs that at the end of the day, I would go home to my husband. I'd get a glass of wine. You know, I don't mm-hmm. do any homework. And I say, you know, I did no harm today. Right. Yeah. I made people happy and. And I potentially change lives. You give 
a, a, a sack of money to somebody who needs a mortgage or, I mean, you know, with millionaire, we used to play for, they'd play for a, a sports car or something. By right. the end, I did it for 11 years. By the end, people were playing literally to pay off next month's mortgage mm -hmm. or to get their kids through college. There were, there were life issues that they were dealing with because everybody was struggling. It's kind of um, cool to give away other people's money too, isn't it? Totally, totally, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. No, I had somebody say to me, "God, you're so generous," and I thought, yeah. "Should I tell them the truth? Do I do I break this bubble?" Right. Hey, perception have? becomes reality. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, but I, yeah, but that I'm just that's a that's a gift I've been given to be able to be part of that and to. The, the pandemic for all the horrors that it's brought, I, and, I, and I don't mean to say this in a lighthearted way, but it brought people to our show. We were a new show right. and people were stuck in their home and they were looking for something to watch and mm -hmm. something new. And so many people discovered our show. We had one woman, this is my favorite story, I, who I was interviewing and she said her mom and her had come upon it and they loved it, loved it, loved it. And I said, well, how did that happen? She said, well, you know, we're flipping through what, you know, this cable we're going to say, and we came upon you guys and we watched them. And, you know, when it was done, we went, you know, that's better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes said, you need well, that. <laughs> that. That's faint praise. But, but yeah, left-handed compliment. Show. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to ask you, you grew up in Providence, I believe, Providence, Rhode Island. I grew up in East Providence, Rhode Island, uh, a, a town called Rumford, which was very appropriate. My friends would say later because I was a big <laughs> fan of rum and coke. Okay, well, of course, it was meant to be. Um, oh, yeah, so East Providence is, is uh, not Providence, but right next door. Well, when you were 15 years old, did you know that you wanted to do media to be a news reporter? I had no. If I look back in time... Uh, my dad will say to me, uh, you, this was always meant to be. I remember having this conversation and I said, why would you say that? And he said, well, my dad started the first Portuguese American newspaper in New Bedford. Something, and I had never met his father. His father had died long before I was born. And I, so I never knew that about his dad. The only thing I knew about his dad was his dad had been a priest. So he was highly educated from the Azores, the islands mm -hmm. off of Portugal. And then he discovered a, a love of women. So he, he left the priesthood <laughs> um, and it's quite a sordid tale. Um, uh -oh. he literally with one of the parishioners, they got on a train and, and took off and eloped. That oh, was boy. the end of the priesthood for mm -hmm. him, but he was very smart man and he wanted to educate other immigrants coming to this country, particularly the Portuguese who tended to be very insular. They didn't really leave the communities they created once they came here. So he started a newspaper to, to help mm -hmm. them get involved and understand mm -hmm this new world. Um, so that was sort of interesting, but I, I didn't have an interest at all. I, I mean, short, making a long story short, I went to college, Tufts University. I was every major under the sun, senior <laughs> year. So this is 1975, literally the Dean brought me in who for some reason liked me. He said, you know, she's kind of a kooky gal, but he said, you got to pick a major because you're not going to grad. He said, do you want to graduate? And I said, well, yeah. He said, well, I got to tell you, with the way you're going, you're not going to, you don't have enough credits. Oh, wow. It's going to be English. That's the only one where you can then. So, okay. So now I'm an English major and they offered this journalism course uh, in our winter break. We had this with a, there was a month during the winter where you could take experimental college courses, they were called mm -hmm. pass fail. 
And we didn't have journalism at Tufts, but they had this broadcasting class and I took it and it was with a, a reporter from WEEI in Boston, which was all news back then, taught yeah, it. Right. Mm-hmm. And they did at the end of the, of the semester, the last few classes, they broke us into groups and we had to create a radio documentary. And we all reported it, we all produced it. And then one person voiced their documentary and they brought in the head of CBS radio in Boston to critique them. Bill Shermer was his name. Uh, and he came in and he's listening to all of them. And he goes, who, who he, at the end of ours, he goes, who's narrating that? And they raised my hand. He said, I, I want to talk to you. I wow. thought, oh, Jesus, he must have talked to the dean. Uh, he's the one who's got to break the news to me that I'm not graduating. I didn't know what the <laughs> hell he was going to do. I'm going yeah. out in the corridor. My life is over, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm blah, blah, blah. Right. And he says, what are you doing when you graduate? And I said, I really don't know. And he said, I do. You're going to have a big career. And he hired me as an intern wow. right there. Wow. He said, I want you to come to WEI as an intern. And uh, they told, he said, I, what will I be doing? He said, well, you'll, among, you start off doing things like ripping wires. So right. I knew nothing about the business. And it was winter. It was January, end of January. And I, sh- I said, okay, ripping wires, it's radio. I don't, it's sort of weird we would be ripping wires out of the wall, but I guess that's what you do. <laughs> I went and I bought the cutest overalls. You, I mean, like they were adorable with applique and stuff. Oh, I show up. for that? Come yeah, on. Yeah, right, right. I show up at my, it was the, the shift, like I started at four in the morning and I come to the desk and this guy, Neil, is at the desk and he looks at me and said, well, hi. And I said, hi, I'm ready. And he said, for what? I said, well, I know I'm going to be ripping wires and he starts to put it together and he laughs and he says no 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 it takes me to the wire machines like Reuters oh my goodness that's so funny he says no 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 is the stuff is coming through the clanging noise and you hear the bell you come and you rip the wires off and you give it to the anchors (laughs) and so so yeah exactly so that story uh, I I swear to God because it's a newsroom I think by the time he explained that to me to go back into the newsroom everybody knew (laughs) everybody was laughing but they took, they all took me under their wing. And I was a, the one thing that I had going for me, I wasn't well, smart so and, much. I was a very, very hard worker. Exactly. And, yeah. well, obviously, and that, and that paid off. So your first job on air, actually reading news was uh, in Worcester, W-O-R-C. Yes, W-O-R-C. It was rip and read. You just literally pulled it off the wires, yeah. uh, the wires off the machines and rewrote if you had time and it was a top 40 station and at the top of the hour who was the guy who said uh oh he had that tagline he was so great oh god ah paul well, harvey yes paul harvey oh, i followed yes. paul ding, harvey ding, 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 i want to be ding, a millionaire ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do better than me on any of those shows I'm, I'm so i could never do any of the shows i've hosted but anyway so i would follow paul harvey and I did my five-minute newscast, and wow. um, and that's where I got my feet wet. And there was a election that year when Shriver ran. I remember going out and when they came to you know uh, the, the town to uh, to to Worcester to campaign. I went out with my little radio and I mean my little microphone and tape recorder, and I got the bug. I mean, I I loved it. I really liked it. With that very humble start, you moved on. I mean, your resume is ridiculous, but people will know 60 Minutes, The View, uh, The Today Show, Dateline, The Meredith Vieira Show, whoever she is, I don't know. But yeah. uh, West- <laughs> That's what a lot of the audience asked. Bust <laughs> the end of that show. Meredith, how they name a show ever? But let me, let me ask you, and this might be a tough question, and I'm sure it depends on 
the time in your life and the time in your career. Is there any yeah. one of those jobs in particular that you really felt this is exactly what I want to be doing at exactly this time in my, in my life. life? You were yeah. in perfect sync with the job you had. Probably West 57th. Really? Um, yeah. And I did not want to do it, actually. Um, I had just been um, named a national correspondent with CBS News. And that's that was a big deal, you know, where I could go all over the country as a national correspondent. Right. And Dan Rather um, brought me in. And he said, and, and this was a show that Andy Lack, who went on to run NBC News, it was his baby maybe um, West 57th. It was a new magazine format, um, sort of competing with 60. It was the young version. That's the way they sold it of 60 Minutes with young hip reporters and blah, 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 whatever the uh, marketing was. Anyway, I did not want to do it. And he called me into, New I was living in Chicago at the time. And he called me into New York and he said, you're going to do this. And I said, why? I mean, you just named me National Correspondent. He said, sometimes you take one for the team. He said, and this show is starting and we need really strong reporters and we, I want you to do it. And so it was really Dan who said to me, I mean, I, I think he was saying, you're going to do it, but he put it in a way that I could make the decision, even though I think it was done. Uh, and I went and it was such a fabulous experience. So the first time that I, I had, I was with people starting something from the ground up. Mm -hmm. None of us quite knew what this was going to be. Everybody was, uh, not everybody was young. I don't want to say it was a show of all 20 year olds or whatever, but um, there was a young vibe to it in the sense of, we don't have to follow the rules. Mm -hmm. We're going to create our own. Um, but the baseline is solid journalism. And all the people that were on that show were Steve Croft and me and Jane Wallace and um, mm -hmm. God this is where age comes in. Um, <laughs> oh God, Surratt, Bob Surratt, the four oh, of us. Sure. Bob had come from Chicago. Mm -hmm. And so we were all, Bob was more of an entertainment reporter and that was his thing. He was so good at it. And then um, John Ferrugia and, and me and Jane Wallace, uh, we were, and then um, Steve Croft came after. Um, mm -hmm. But the original was Ferrugia, me, Jane, and Bob Surratt. We were all serious at what we did. You know, and the three of us, not Bob, but the three of us, we all were trained at CBS News, mm -hmm. so, which which was, you know, they had standards and practices back then. And you had to read the book and learn it, memorize it. And, you know, this was all about truth and objectivity. So we that was our we never um, veered from that. The struggle I had and it, it was something that I had to learn with West 57 was actually injecting myself into stories mm. because I had never done that i always felt like your reporter is a facilitator you are there to ask the questions you're there to elevate your the person uh across the mic from you to give them the platform or your audience to make them aware of something it's never you me 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 and the thing about magazine shows is you do bring your personality i mean you're you're sort of you're the one bringing them into the tent right. and then you're revealing the story so that but that was a great learning experience for me and it was really cool to see this show blossom we knew we had something when don hewitt who was running 60 minutes at the time started bad mouthing us you know and saying oh those whippersnappers and this and that we were on a floor either above or below 60 i can't remember but you know there was that and and you know don and i had our own history but and i ended up really admiring don a lot and respecting him but um you knew if, if it got under don hewitt's skin something good was going on i wanted to ask you were you always such a good 
interviewer slash listener and the importance of being able to listen to what the people you're talking to are telling you. Well, I thank you for that. Um, I think that was drilled into me early on um, that, it, you know, do not, so many reporters do this and I understand that your, your notepad becomes your crutch mm. and you write, you spend hours and hours. I'm, I know you guys can relate to this studying and researching and you get the, this is the most brilliant question and blah, <laughs> and you have them in an order that makes sense to you. And then your, your subject veers off and says something you don't expect. Mm -hmm. And you can either, if you're listening, it's an opportunity that you didn't anticipate and you have to be able to, okay, now I'm taking that bend in the road because I'm going someplace I didn't know and I'm gonna rely on my skills to um, reveal what it is they want to share um, versus what so many people do, especially young people, and I get it, they just go to the next question. They don't uh -huh. follow up. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know whether I, whether somebody taught, I, I mean, that goes back so many years. But, you know, I started in the business in 75, but I, I learned the value of, of really listening yeah. to people. And when you really, truly listen, I, I don't feel you can blow it with an interview. I really don't. And you let people, I don't like interviews that start, well, don't you agree <laughs> where, where the question is a setup to them, basically right. parroting right. what you think. Um, so, uh, you know, that, I think that to me is, is sloppy. It's, it's not even really reporting. It's, it's really just, you know, having somebody say back to you your own set right. of truths. So let me ask you, Meredith, don't you agree that uh, <laughs> I, I did have a question. Exactly. Whatever Chris does, do the opposite. <laughs> that will lead to a successful career, trust me. No. Uh, but you did bring up this gentleman's name and I know you, know you just spoke sort of positively, but you had some issues with Don Hewitt. And one of them, and I wanted to bring up because this show in particular, for whatever reason, we, we do have a, a, a fair amount of female audience. And one of those things in terms of being a career woman for you, you've always had the challenge of balancing family versus career. And you ended up, correct me if I'm wrong, you ended up walking out of 60 Minutes because Don would let you work part-time after the birth of uh, your second child. Is that true? Or how did you feel yes. about that? That was true. No, it was true. And um, well, just so you have a little context here, um, I had had Ben right before, I actually, a few days before I gave birth to Ben, I knew it was going to be a C-section. Mm. And I went to say goodbye to the folks at CBS. And I was at West 57 at the time. And I was offered at that sort of exit interview, I would be coming back, you know, in six months. I took, I always took the full maternity leave. And at that last conversation or during that last conversation, the president of CBS News said to me, we'd love you to join 60 Minutes. And that was the only, I never coveted jobs per se, except that one. Mm -hmm. I thought that to me would be the pinnacle of, um, I hate to use the word success, but sure. personal success within the business for me. I never wanted to be an anchor. I loved reporting. I loved getting out. I loved meeting people which is sort of weird because I'm intrinsically extremely shy, but I no. loved that process. Oh my God, like <laughs> painful. Um, so like a lot of people who are quote yeah. unquote entertainers, whatever, but, um, and I couldn't say no. And I convinced myself on the spot. Okay. I'll be able to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm freaking out inside. I'm like the duck serene on the surface right. and paddling like a crazy underneath the water. <laughs> and, uh, and I go and I have Ben and I come back and I have the interview with Don and, and we, we met at Tavern on the Green for lunch. And I have been with me 
and I'm holding his little hand the whole time. So I won't lose perspective because I knew I'm at the edge of a cliff and I, and that cliff, the drop being going to 60 minutes full, you know, full blaze and, and no looking back and the career woman, she's done it, you know, and this little baby that was my whole world, mm. my family, um, along with Richard. And, and I did take the job, but I said in my own head, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. And over the course of the next whatever, few months or whatever it was, year, um, I tried to balance the two and it was a struggle constantly for me, mm-hmm. constantly. Um, and I had great producers who said, we don't care where you write this script as long as we get it to you. So I learned how to, when I was in the office, I worked really hard, but I, in order to get out. And what I didn't realize was it really was more of a boys club and you needed to hang around the office and you needed to go hang in Don's office. You need to do all those things, which I can be obnoxious about and say that they have nothing to do with journalism. But you know what? That's the way the game was played. And I should have been more savvy politically. I wasn't. I thought if you just did your job, who could complain? You know, who would say that you're not part of the team? Then I got pregnant with Gabe and I didn't want I had I had had four miscarriages before Ben. And I wasn't sure that this was going to even, and between Ben and Gabe, I'd had another miscarriage of twins. So Mm. I thought, oh my God, and uh, I don't want to say anything right now because Don's going to flip out, you know? And I, and I was waiting anyway. My doctor said, don't say anything until you're 12 weeks in. And I told my producers, because I didn't want to get on planes. And so they made, and my producers were great. They'd say, oh, we have a great Washington story for her. You know, so I was not, but Don didn't know a story's a story. And they were protecting me. And then he called me literally from, I believe it was either he was in London or he was Paris. It was when the, um, what were the, the, the planes, the Concorde was still in operation. Oh, wow. He said, mm-hmm. Meredith, we have an unbelievable, I don't even remember what the story was. He, we're putting you on the Concorde to Paris mm. and just get ready. And, and I gulped and I said, Don, I can't. And he went, what? You know, he's like kind of brusque. And I said, I'm pregnant. And there was silence, silence. Oh. And he went, I, uh, all right, I got to get somebody on the story. I got to go click. And that was the beginning of the end for me. Um, There, he just, I I went to him and I said, I'm going to need to do part-time. And and the truth was that when I was hired, Steve Croft was hired to replace Diane Sawyer. She was leaving. And we both, we split it. So we each did half the number of stories that everybody else was doing for the first two years. That was the deal. So we're getting that, that was expiring. And I said, I'm going to have to do that because I'm taking my six months. It's company policy. I'm allowed. And I can't possibly do the quota with the six months of of stories. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, that's not going to work. Forget it. And that's when I said, well, okay, I'm done. So early on, as you were developing your voice in radio and television, who did you want to be? Mm. Who was your role model? I loved Charlie Osgood because I loved his writing. I loved his storytelling. I loved a uh, Keralt. Um, I loved um, some of the war correspondents. There was one woman. I hate it when you ask names because I have no memory. Yeah, you know, left. That's what happens. She, Sorry. But there was a war correspondent for ABC and she was fearless and, and, she, she, I don't know if she's even still around. She was around for a really long time. I would look at those kinds of people. Um, and mostly it was people's writing. 
I would observe that, that, and I was told that by somebody early on, the people who's writing you really respect, um, watch them, don't become them, but mm -hmm. watch what they do and, and how they use words. Because, and back then also when I was starting, it was radio too. And so words became even more important, mm. um, certainly um, than pictures, there were no pictures. <laughs> and, but, uh, but what happened was, Jessica Savage started to become, she was with NBC. She was the golden girl, I think they called her. She right. was becoming really well known. And, and when I went to do my first television job, I was, they told, said to me, this was improvised, and we're going to send you to a voice coach because we want people to sort of emulate her style. Because my, my first job was at an NBC station. And I refused. I said, no. Mm -hmm. And it was that moment they said, I'm not going to be someone else. I'm going to be me. I'm going to, you know, you're going to want to watch a story of mine because it's mine, wow. not because I sound like Jessica Savage. Right. And I had a good enough voice. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it's what helped get me into the business, obviously. Right. Um, wait, all those days ago and years ago at Tufts. Um, so I had that, at least that amount of confidence and that amount of chutzpah. Where that came from, who knows? Maybe I was, the, yeah, I was the youngest child with three older brothers, well, but I know, had something, and right. they didn't force it, and and so I never, at, from that point on, wanted to be someone else. But I did have people that whom I admired, and I thought their work was really strong, and mm -hmm. I would sort of, you know, watch how they did. What what was it that made them them, and and that was it. And you, you sort of answered my next question, which I have my notes. No, just kidding. Uh, but that I was, you know, <laughs> um, but you know, not to blow hot air up your whatever. Um, but in working with you personally, and also you know, following your career over the years, you really are one of those people that is a what I like to call a multi-note talent. You can hit a lot of the notes. Yeah. You can whatever situation you're in not only hitting the notes properly, but being true to yourself. And that's sort of what you just said. And not everybody can do that. And that's the one thing when people used to ask me about you and working with you. And I would say, you know what? What you see is what you, that, that's Meredith. You are, a lot of people in the industry, I feel like they play the part of, I've seen weather people playing the part of what a weather person's supposed to be, a news mm -hmm. reporter is supposed to be. You know, you never did that. You were Meredith doing that job. You were Meredith Friera doing that job. And that's something I always tended to follow. And you were certainly somebody that pushed that for me. Well, that's exactly who you are, Chris. And I, I don't know where that, that comes from. I mean, I, you know, I want to say, well, I was so secure in my shoes, but I don't think that's the case. No. I just, oh, somebody you know, agrees I with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who's that? Who's that's that? Chris's new puppy. Continue talking. I'll take care of that. Oh, I think that's it. Um, anyway, no, that's the perspective you need. Occasionally, like, like, all right, lady, move on <laughs> from the dog. Um, I, 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 it was the only way I could conduct myself is to sort of mm -hmm. be who I. It's it's really hard to play a part. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's that's just, what I think. It's I much think. easier to just be who you are, and if people don't like it, well, whatever. I. You know, I almost had a Mr. Magoo approach to life. You know, I st I've stumbled through. Oh, I'm Magoo, okay. you've done it again. You know, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I've, I, you know, I've veered off the main path so many times and it's always worked for me. You find something else. Right. And also I think one of the tricks that, and I know you'd feel this, Chris, um, 
I think one of the tricks to doing this well and actually conducting yourself well in life is to respect the person you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a certain condescension, condescension that, that often comes with elevation of, of person. And if you think you're famous or somehow you're the big shot in the room, well, you're not. You might think you are, but you're not. Yeah, yeah. And, and just respecting another human being, I think that opens the door to mm-hmm. anything that's possible. And that was really instilled in me by my parents, you know, from yeah. the time I was a little kid. Is that was just, you never make fun of people. You never put somebody down. You never, you just, you know, it's the old Atticus Finch. You walk in someone else's shoes and you learn a lot that way. Yeah. You know, a couple of years ago when Chris and I sat down, we've known each other for a long time at this point. Um, but we wanted to do My a sympathies. show. I'm sorry? <laughs> My sympathies to you. <laughs> oh, to, right. to me or this, him? This interview is over yet. <laughs> That's right. We still have punches although, we can pull. Although and, it may be. <laughs> and the lightning round is coming up. Oh, shit. Okay. I take it back. I take it back. Right. I but, you. But Chris and I, as middle-aged warriors, used to sit around and talk about what we were going to do when we moved to whatever that next stage of our career yeah. was going to be. And Chris and I have talked at great length about, I don't miss radio. I don't miss mm-hmm. being on the radio. Chris is happy he had the time he did standing in front of chroma keys and, <laughs> and green screens. I wear a lot of lime green these days though. Let me tell you, um, as I can. When you look at the TV now, and I, I don't know that you do, but when you see news today do you get nostalgic about the way it used to be and what do you think the future of of tv news is now only because i ask given the covid um variants of news anchors for a long time were reporting from home Mm -hmm. do you do you see that as a trend moving forward um you know it's so hard to know what what's around the corner for all of us i i as a somebody that was in a newsroom missed the excitement of yeah. being in a newsroom, missed the camaraderie, missed the interaction of, I mean, it's not the same. A Zoom call is not the same. Right. Um, of being in the trenches with folks and all of that and going out on a story and, and really being with somebody mm-hmm. in the moment. I mean, that's, there's a reason we're, we're social creatures. I right. mean, it has to do with the way we're made up and our psyche and all of that stuff. So I hope, we go back to that. I worry, and I, I, you know, I was having this conversation with my husband because I remember when I started in television news in New York, the, it was all turning over from film to video. And I remember the, the older cameramen and they're sitting around and they were all grumbling. Oh, it's the end of the business. It's the end of the business. Oh yeah. And, you know, those gravelly voices and everybody has a cigarette, including me back then. <laughs> and I thought, oh man, come on, get with the times. Mm. But I understood where they were now. I understand where they were coming from there. You know, there was something was changing yeah. and they were worried about it and I get it. And some very talented artists in this business people in film and editing lost their jobs because of this much faster paced way of doing things. And we were all becoming sort of widgets in the business, actually Mm -hmm. losing our personal value because if you can't do it, someone else can, you know, one man bands and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so I've, I've been part of and participated in sort of that demise, that slow chipping away at the old 
newsroom way of doing things. But what I worry about is when I watch the news now as a consumer, mm-hmm. it's very it's harder and harder to find find objectivity. Yeah, you go yeah. to to networks that you thought were, and people are constantly slipping in their point of view, exactly. and the network has a point of view. And I understand it on cable. I understand that MSNBC is leaning left. I understand that Fox on cable is leaning right or or they're all bent over left and right, whatever it is. I <laughs> well, get that's a that. Good, that's a good I, phrase to use. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, we all bent right. over listening to it. I'm yeah. not sure. But anyway. Exactly. I get it. And that even scares me because mm-hmm. the people who tend to watch, and I'm not s- suggesting bad people, whatever, you tend to watch what give, sends you back what you think already. Everybody exactly. needs validation. And I worry that if you're not getting enough exposure to, you may think this, but we need to expose you to this, all these other things right. so mm-hmm. that you understand and you have perspective and knowledge and with knowledge comes better understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, and I, that's what I see. And I really, where do you go? Yeah. I go to so many news sources now and our, our thinking about news has been so polluted by mm-hmm. what's real. What's and it's, I mean, I think I'm a pretty good judge and I don't know anymore. Right. I go, well, is that a fact? I, I you know, yeah. constantly. No, true. And even some of my most trusted sources have been caught up in things that have been incorrect. Yeah. I mean, and truth, so, yeah, truth is on the brink of extinction in a weird way. Totally. It's, it's totally. It's a scary thing. And when you lose that, what, what do we have left? And as you were saying, you know, you sit there and, and if you want to listen to what you only want to hear, that will create zero growth. And that exactly. isn't the purpose of news and information, but uh, and that's a, when you open the doors to things like um, things that are other than democracies, right? <laughs> that's how that happens. Yeah. It's a slippery slope, but but yeah. once you fall down it, you roll and roll like a, a a rock down a hill. Yeah, yeah, and everybody yells past each other what they believe instead of talking to totally. each other about it. Totally, you know? yeah. That's one of the problem. Being a middle aged warrior, as you are, I'm sorry, you are Meredith. You're you're in, you're in it. Uh, <laughs> you're in our club, or we're in your. Yep. One of the interesting was, there was an interesting quote that you you said once I realized I was a reporter who didn't want to report because it required a tremendous amount of travel. Nobody was too interested in having me work for them. I had to reinvent myself. As a middle-aged warrior, how do you stay relevant, and what does being relevant mean to you today? Well, you know, it's that's a tough one to be honest with you, Chris. I, I one of the things that I have done through my career. And sort of on purpose, I, I didn't realize it was until I was maybe two or three jobs into other versions of myself, is create a resume that's so diverse mm. that if you can't report, I'll go, okay, well, do you need a game show host? No, well, I'll have a talk show. <laughs> I I'm good at the talk show circuit. I've done radio. You know, to do enough that your value increases, that people mm-hmm. can see you in a lot of different lights, that has helped me tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what relevance is, I guess, always feeling that you've made some sort of difference in the world that you're, that you're contributing in some way. It does, it doesn't have to be on television by any means. I mean, I'm a communicator. I work for, I do stuff for Pfizer now for metastatic breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And I, and I did something for Colonial Pen that allows people a portal to figure out their Medicare supplements because I'm in that boat. And they're neither of them promote a product, but they're they're informational. I go, well, I have a voice. I can get people into a tent. 
I, I've certainly dealt with cancer in my life and my, with my husband. My, my sister-in-law has metastatic breast cancer. I care about it. It's coming from a real place. And so I've used my voice in, for things that I care about. Um, and then the game show was just sort of something that came to me. And I thought, well, that's a hoot. I, I've never worked in Hollywood. I got to work on a soundstage in Hollywood. And, wow. you know, for the first year, I mean, this year, I they set up a, the entire, um, my stage was my basement. They right. just turned it into my studio. But, um, you know, so I, I, to me, it's just, it's just um, ha- adding a helpful voice to the conversation mm-hmm. in whatever way that can be. And you just, maybe it's for somebody that's creating a beautiful garden that people pass every day right. and it brings yeah. them joy, yeah. you know, or it's, it's taking like you, you have your little puppy mm-hmm. and, and this little puppy you, that you're going to nurture. Now oh, here's my kitty coming up. Oh, see? <laughs> she um, yeah. Jealous. Well, so yeah, exactly. Well, we have two cats and a dog. So I, I, I relate whatever it is in your life that, uh, that sort of um, spreads to the next person and brings some joy or something to someone else, I think is, makes you of, you know, a person of value and relevant, yeah. One of the things that, you know, you've used and you've talked about this openly in terms of dealing with, you know, some of the difficulties that life throws at us is the use of the sense of humor. And I know that's that's worked with uh, you and Richard, your husband, and dealing with MS and, and his other illnesses. And I, I read something. Now, we can leave this in or not, but is it true that you were told to take a suppository <laughs> in order to keep the health of your 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 unborn yes. child? Yes, yes. They just gave you the suppository, but you didn't know exactly where it went. Where it... Yeah, you know, you know, you laugh Not now, Chris. You it. laugh now, but I, yes, no. I, I had had, I had had. Okay, get your little laughs out. Are you I'm done? Sorry, I'm okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I love you. You know that. I was. I know you do. I love you back. Um, I was. I, like I said, when I when we went to get pregnant, I was thirty three when we got married, and mm-hmm. we thought it would be pretty easy. And I just had one miscarriage after another early on, and mm-hmm. before eight weeks. So. I don't want to embell- make this like I can't, almost came to term, but they were, they were just, they threw us, both of us. Sure. And so they determined that I needed a little help creating a, a, a friendlier environment for mm-hmm. an, you know, an embryo to, to stick essentially. Mm-hmm. And, and so my doctor gave me suppositories and, and okay, so I take them home. Well, when you hear the word suppository, yeah. you, you stick it in your mouth. I mean, that's where it goes. Who knew? Well, so fair. I'm doing that. And, and finally, I say to my husband, this, you know, I, I don't understand everything, obviously. I'm not a doctor. Um, so but <laughs> I just don't understand how it goes from there. Right. To, yeah. to where it has to go. It, it just seemed odd to me. And finally, this goes weeks now, weeks of doing this, not a day. Oh my I go, I have my next appointment with my doctor. And I, I mentioned him, I said, you know, he's down checking, whatever. I said, you know, I, I apologize, but I'm, I, I don't get it. He said, what are you talking about? And I told him where I've been putting the suppository. He said, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh <laughs> my said, God. They go in your vagina. But oh, at, le- at least you were regular for a couple of weeks. Oh my God. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Thank God that didn't work. And I had to yeah, really. talk about the women who have a baby say it's like pooping a bowling ball. Well, yeah. Oh, how close wow. I came to that. Well, this um, my fault. I, no, I no, no. Well, you know what? The women in your audience who are listening will That's totally true. relate to that. So, but I learned from that something. It was one of the few times a reporter, you got to know, you have to know when to ask questions and when to stop asking questions. 
right. that was an example of where I should have been asking more questions. Right, right. All right. Anyway, I have three beautiful children. I'm blessed. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, now, in moving forward, uh, because of course we're in a Zoom call, so there's time is of the essence, as they say. But I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, most awkward moment you've had in live television, because I think we've all experienced that. All three of us have done live TV and/or radio, and we know there are awkward moments. Is there one in particular that really sticks out for you? Oh boy, yeah, it's a really good question. Yeah. I know you well, have a salty tongue, and I know there's been some, you know, <laughs> and believe me, if you search my name, that's what always comes up. But <laughs> Yeah, well, I definitely do, but I, I don't know if that's it. Um, it might have been only because of the pressure that I was under in the moment, my first day on, the, on Today mm -hmm. with Matt Lauer, and we were going to commercial, and, uh, and I, I don't remember the catchphrase, um, but you, there was something we said that I've mm -hmm. purposely put a lot in my mind. And but I first, it up. It was, but first, this is, but first. Yes, but first, this Which is. Which never today. made sense to me, but anyway. No, yeah. I know a lot. Of, and, but, but I screwed it up. But I said like, but today and whatever. And, <laughs> and he, of course, Matt was like, oh, he wouldn't God, let you laughing. Go, oh, no, no, he would, no. he was, you know, constantly teasing. And I, I just, in the moment, decided what the hell. And I threw all my papers up in the air and it just broke the tension in the room and everybody laughed and it, and it, it made me human in the moment. It made me this kid, she's trying, yeah. <laughs> um, she's nervous. She's trying to hide the nerves. Well, there they are folks. Right. And, I, and just, yes, just do it. Just mm -hmm. say it, call it what it is. And then the rest of the show, I was fine. Right. You know, I did. And so that was in the moment I had to make a split second de decision. What do I do? And I chose not to run out of the room crying, <laughs> which was my my fall position, <laughs> and I uh, default position. And I did that instead. <laughs> I don't mean to be presumptive, but your therapist would be proud. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So to follow I had a therapist actually in in college, and his socks kept drooping. Oh, and gosh, for whatever gosh. reason, I never went back. <laughs> <laughs> never trust a therapist with drooping socks. I no, he so. never That's, spoke. Yeah. It was that school, you know, where they don't speak. And his socks, are, I thought, if you can't even get socks that, that you can keep up, yeah, then can. I don't know. You got some, you got some issues. He's got some issues. There. Yeah, so, <laughs> he's got droopy sock syndrome. Yeah. So, so nature so, is sort of my therapist now when I'm, when I need to clear my thoughts, I'm big into hiking and all that stuff. And uh, that brings me peace of mind. So in, in wrapping up, yeah. up a little bit, the interview that you most wanted and are proud of that you were able to get, who was that? It's never who you think. It's uh, it's mm -hmm. the next interview. I don't have one. If I had to pick one interview that changed my life, it was a little boy in Chicago named Anthony mm -hmm. that I did a story for West 57 that I won't give you the whole background, but I discovered this boy on another story and he haunted me. Uh, when I was at CBS News and when I got to the magazine show West 57th, I went to my boss, Andy Lack, and I said, this kid is a story. He's an interested kid. Um, there's something about him. He's like an old soul. And Andy said, where is he? I said, I don't know. He said, what do you mean you don't know? He said, somewhere on the south side of Chicago. And he thought, you're too obsessed. And he sent my a producer uh, and she went and she I, her mandate was try to find him. Meredith's too close to this. And she called me on a payphone back then and said, oh my God, I found this kid. He's unbelievable. And we did a story of this little boy surviving with a single mom. The father had left when he was born or a few months into his birth. Mm. Um, they lived in a tenement. She was an alcoholic. 
he literally in the interview said his favorite food was uh, fish sticks. That was his idea of heaven. He had a severe uh, um, speech impediment. He stuttered because I think because he was a nervous kid. Mm. And um, he said, I don't look for tr trouble. Trouble comes to me. That was a, and he was seven years old. Wow. I thought for a seven year old wow. to say that. That's crazy. That he doesn't look for it. And his teacher just said, you know, kids like him, they end up in prison or dead. She'd mm. written him off. And I love this boy. And I said to him when I was leaving, I said, you, here's my number at work. You call if you ever need to talk. And he called every day. He read, read me my horoscope. He was into horoscopes <laughs> at seven. And mm -hmm. when I went to 60 Minutes, credit to Don Hewitt and all the folks there, I said, if Anthony calls, please pick up. Oh. And, and everybody got to know Anthony <laughs> and they would pick up for that. Like, and that kid was the first one in his family to graduate high school. He, he ended yeah. up going into um, city government and we wow. sort of lost touch. And so I don't want, I don't mean to step on him because his life should be private, but so I'm not saying his full name, but that was an example of a story that I should not have. Once I leave, you're supposed to leave your stories behind. Mm -hmm. I chose not to, and I'm glad I didn't uh, leave it behind. But it affected my life because I saw such strength of character in such a little soul, you know, who was not going to be defeated. You know, even though trouble came to him, he was he was going to somehow survive. And that that kid just stuck with me. So I no longer the big gets don't mean anything to me. Right. It's fabulous. It's fabulous. Mm -hmm. sure. But it's those voices that are and there are millions of them out there. Well, it, it's That's funny you should say that because uh, we had interviewed Jane Hansen, who I think, you know, from NBC. Oh, of course, Jane. Yeah. And I asked her the same question and her story again came back. It was just somebody out in the world who was struggling. A and regular Joe. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing you know, when you think about the people you've all interviewed. Yeah. But yet those, the real people stories are what stick out. And that speaks, that speaks to you guys as well as, as the reporters and the interviewers, because those are the things that show the value and the values that you hold closest to your heart. You're not, not a Hollywood star necessarily. Not that any of these interviews aren't great. And, and we always feel honored and privileged to have the opportunity to meet these people. But I think the story you just told, you, you changed that young person's life. You, you probably really were the most important figure that changed the direction of his life. And that there's nothing more powerful than that. That's the well, gift of life. Well, if that's the case, then I'm, I'm thrilled and humbled by that. But, you know, the other thing, just to bring this around full circle, even you mentioned there's something great about interviewing, you're right, celebrities or politicians, leaders, whatever. But, and I feel for them too, so often they come to these things, they're part of a junket. They're doing one interview after another. They never reveal themselves because they don't want to. And I get it. They're sure. there with their own agenda. So you always leave, or, or I found almost every time I would leave unsatisfied. Mm. Yeah, I got the, you know, get the, get the soundbite, get whatever, mm. but mm. you never felt you got the soul of the person, the essence mm. of a person, because there were already uh, guards up before right. you entered the interview. And so that, that those are in their own way, the trickiest to try sure. to get something of humanity out of somebody who kind of isn't there for that. You know, they've been told by their agent, you got to go do this, that, or their manager or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, Meredith, are you up for a little lightning round with uh, with Chris and Rick here on Middle Age Warriors? This is uh, where well, we. Well, no, I'm not. But you're going to do it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're honest. She's honest to the core. This yeah, one. Absolutely. <laughs> this is where we. These are harmless questions. Yeah, they really are. We yeah, fire I, questions I at okay. you. And uh, and just whatever comes to mind. First block. 
Well, my have... favorite color is my favorite color is green, so that's going to be my answer to everything. Just letting you know. <laughs> <Just> so <go laughs> <ahead>. <laughs> All right, here we go. First question: favorite home cooked meal? Oh. It would have to be, I, my birthday was December 30th and my mother always wanted to be special because it was after Christmas and we mm. only had birthday dinners at home. So every every birthday she made me, my favorite meal was London broil with mashed potatoes and peas and chocolate cake with white <laughs> vanilla icing. That Very exotic. <laughs> sign, sign me up. What was your first <laughs> your first concert that you went to? Po Pogo. I'm sorry? Oh, you know what? The little critic, Pogo, I think it was in... in at, at Tufts University, yeah, it's called Pogo. Oh, really? Okay, okay, the dog. What's with him? Like he's such a critic. Okay, Mariah Carey. Is that better? Okay, that's better. <laughs> oh, no, that's not better. That's better. I think I know the my answer. My first concert, concert. My first concert, concert though, outside of the school concerts, was uh, Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Okay, that's cool. This one, I think I know the answer. Jeans and sneakers or party dress and heels. <laughs> Uh, jeans and sneakers, although I love a party dress and heels, but if you're asking me what I, my, my wardrobe every day is jeans, a white t-shirt and, and really not sneakers so much as clogs. Oh, you're a clogger. Ah. Oh. I'm a clogger. Yeah. Rick? First record you ever bought. The Beatles, Meet the Beatles. Oh, fourth, yeah. fourth grade. I saw them on Ed Sullivan. I was one of those people that night. I turned my pillow, you know, oh. vertically, and I pretended it was Paul McCartney. <laughs> now that is, I'm like, kid you not, and I and I had loved Richard Kildare up to that point, uh, a Doctor Kildare too, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a big deal. I kicked him out of my fourth fourth grade bed wow. and kissed my pillow and pretended it was Paul. And I begged my parents to get me that album, begged, and I, still, I got that album. I still have the vinyl of that, actually. But me too. Here's me one. Too. Here's one. Red, white, or rosé. Hmm, very seasonal to. choice. If I had to, true favorite, pro uh, probably Froze, frozen oh, rosé. Rosé, I like that. Ah, yeah, I had that. Uh, we have a place on Cape Cod. I love Cape Cod. Mm -hmm. the, my heart is there. And in Provincetown, uh, I remember having a frosé a couple summers ago, and I thought, ah, oh, this is heaven. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> Glass half empty or half full? I think I know the answer for you. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm a very moody person and very emotional, but I'd say half full. Mm -hmm. uh, favorite Netflix show, if you have one that you like to binge. Oh, God. Latest favorite, let's put it that way. My latest favorite. I loved The Queen's Gambit. I thought that was great okay. on Netflix. I love um, uh, Shit's Creek on Netflix. I know they didn't start uh, yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. But that, I mean, when I'm bummed, I love, do you guys ever heard of Kath and Kim? It's an Australian show. It's long gone, but you can get it on Netflix. It's ridiculous. And it just makes me laugh hysterically. So I'll, I, I tend to go either toward humor uh, like I'll watch Curb over and over. I'll watch right. that. I'll watch Shit's Creek, or I go dark. Like I just watched. Um, I'll be back in the dark, or I'll do whatever. The, you know that one mm. about the killer in in oh, California. Yeah. The, you know the, those <laughs> kinds dark. of. It's, it's really. I'm like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I'm either going to laugh hysterically or give me a good murder, and I'm I'm set. I'm taking notes. What was that show though from Who and Kim? The show from Australia. Kath and Kim. Kath and Kim. Catholic, okay. Catholic, Kathleen or whatever, but yeah. it's ridiculous. And I'm not saying you're going to lie. I'm just saying sometimes something hits you yeah, as like so it. silly and in the moment. And yeah. I just yeah. enjoyed it. What was the first car you ever owned? Volkswagen Beetle. I named him Schultz. 
Oh. I got him. Oops. Um, yeah, Schultz. 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 I know nothing. Logan's Heroes. I yeah, I know nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> Which is probably the the most politically incorrect thing you can do. Really? My little my little yeah. Schultz say my German car, whatever. And I it was a stick shift, and I loved it. And I had had it a few weeks, and another car hit oh. me, went through a light, oh. hit me. Nobody got hurt, but I was devastated by oh. that. And I I paid for half of it my, my dad and mom paid for the other half it was three thousand dollars back then ah yeah that's what it cost the and good old days i the good old days and i wore yeah. it down to i had i used to drink tons and tons of tab you know oh. like the precursor diet and yeah. i had it literally had eaten through the passenger side oh. where cans i'd thrown them <laughs> there was like a whole i which oh. tells you what was in that stuff yeah. right i mean oh, you put that in um, your body. i know really. yeah like the chemical now you're still here <laughs> exactly um i'm not going to blame tab i don't know but I, all i know is i was throwing cans of you know in that i i was not the neatest person but anyway i loved that car that's still my favorite because it was it was my freedom and it was sure. there was so many things tied up with that car so those are those are significant moments. Last question from Fa Griff, favorite anyway. place you've traveled to. Uh, you're gonna hate me for this, um, but I mean, and you're gonna say, "Oh, please!" But it, it kind of is. I hate to say that. I've been all over the world. That's also my favorite movie, by the way, Wizard of Oz. But um, I just, I'm a homebody. I, I have places I love. I love Italy. Love it. Um, I love London. I love Paris. I love. Uh, Thailand, um, but Bangkok, um, but I just, I, you know, this is where my juices flow. This is where I get um, a sense of peace, my home. This is where we raised our kids. It, yeah. It's, you know, we're in a, we're in a beautiful part of the Hudson Valley that I love. And it, it's just, it, it's always going to be part of me that in the Cape right. truly are the two places where yeah. I just, I, it's like you, you, you know, that when you go, <sighs> Right. And you breathe when yeah. you're and in the right that, place when you're in the right place so right i place. yeah and i no and i to, to see the world yeah no 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 i've been very lucky to to see the world but but when you report and maybe you guys connect to this you go you fly in you do yeah. your interview you fly out so right. did i like my drive from the airport to the yeah, you know, yeah. yeah that was cool i think <laughs> i saw some of the arc de triomphe yeah. or something but so you know that most of my experience with travel has been work related and that that's a skewed vision of uh version of what mm. travel is well, that's why be. though i think you would feel that way it's and finally with the super bowl just a steeze away buccaneers tampa bay uh you know what i i've been crucified for my love of tom brady but i don't care yeah I'm a new england girl i grew up with Patriots. oh you know what Fine, fine. Okay. <laughs> okay. Don't hate. See, see, this is. Didn't we have a whole thing about respect for each other? Right. It seems to me. I yeah. I remember that kind of being played during the interview. Um. <laughs> so yeah, I just I'm I'm a Buccaneers for my husband is not. He's Kansas City, so it's going to be interesting. And we don't. I mean, I I'm not really a big football a football yeah. person. Um. But to begin with, but I everybody just, has I think, to pick one. I think he's amazing. I yeah. think that's an amazing athlete and um, to be 40 something and doing what he's doing, you know, and they're the underdogs in, in the Super Bowl, I believe. I think Kansas City is they projected to win, I think. Yeah. So, 
I would never call Tom Brady an underdog in anything. No, no, I know, I know. But um, I guess it's just jealousy on my part. Well, Chris, perfect in every way. Yeah, no, 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 no. But no, no. But did you see that little? It went viral. The little video of him after the game um, with Drew Brees. And did you see this? And they're on the. They're back. Everybody's back in their normal clothes, and the stadium's empty. And and Drew is out there with his kids in the stadium. They're just tossing the football and. He oh, comes wow. out. Did you see this? I did, I did not. Tom, Tom Brady comes out to, and they hug, and they're I obviously saw that. friends. I saw them hug. And they're, you can see them talking. And then, then Tom Brady took the football and starts playing with his kids, with Drew's kids, and throwing them the football and being very sweet. Mm-hmm. And at the end, and Drew's wife comes over, and they're all chatting. At the end, he looks at the boys, and he says to the boys, he says, take care of your sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and he leaves. And I, I just thought, you know what? I loved that because it showed that at the end of a game, those guys both wanted to win like great. That's probably Drew Brees' last game, game, right? So, but they had this, they they were just at the end, they were two guys who played football and knew how good they were clearly and respected each other. And it was about those little kids in the moment and take care of your sister. And I, and I love that. Though, although a part of me, being a, the, the youngest of a family of three boys, I wanted to say, ah, she doesn't need them to take care of her. <laughs> just fine. But, uh, you know, but but I didn't want to burst that little bubble in my head. So I how just can, decided it's sweet. How can we thank you enough for spending some time with us? <laughs> Thanks. Very oh, it's much. such a pleasure. You guys, awesome. you guys are great. And I'm glad you're doing this because it's it's lovely to hear voices out there. And what that's how we come together, really. We listen to what e- each of us is going through. And there's a, a lot of commonality in it all. Yeah. And you know, we're practically neighbors. I'm I'm uh, just a little south in Riverdale now. So uh, be- better be careful. There goes the neighborhood. You know, I may be driving for you. Oh, you are? Yeah. And I'm in Hartsdale. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're oh, my God. So do you, wait a minute. So do you guys know Riviera Bakery in Ardsley? The what? Riviera Bakery in Arlington. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I grew up in Dobbs Ferry, right so Riviera was. Oh. Oh yeah. Oh my God! It's the oh, Chris. Please. I have to go. You have to go. Yeah, yeah. I'm giving them a big plug. Right, They're right on Sawmill River Road. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. There you go. I, I hope that means I've got some free stuff coming my way. <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure to put this out there right at the top. <laughs> no, that's okay. I don't mind paying for their delicious oh, food. I do have to check, check that it out. out Chris. Yeah, check it out, Chris. Check it out. Absolutely. And the other thing, we share the same hair person, by the way, Freddie. Oh, my God. Is Freddie not the best human being? He is the man. Oh, he is the man, Freddie. He was. He used to go on vacation with my current girlfriend, Edna, as you as you know. So they were like they were travel buddies. But I I pushed him out. I hope he does. He's not mad at me for that. But. No, he's not. He happens to love you, Chris. But uh, no, but he, you, I mean, you ended up with one of the most fabulous ladies ever. Oh, Edna now she's going to hear this. Oh. Well, but she is. Not only is she incredibly talented as a makeup artist, but she is so kind. Yes, yeah, she I is. I mean, so kind and so funny. And mm. she's just, she lights up a room. She really does. She's got that personality. And so, she puts up with Chris. Think about well, that. Well, I, that I don't. Yeah, I know. I don't understand. But yeah. somebody has to. So. I'm very, I am <laughs> so, I am so blessed and so fortunate, but we don't want to go I, on blah, blah, blah with that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll wrap this up. I love you. Thank you so much. I love for you too. Much time. The best to you and your family. And let's hope everybody stays well and gets through this and we yeah. get to the other side sooner than later. Totally. Stay safe, guys. Great to talk with you. You too. Take care, Meredith. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Well, 
that was everything I knew it would be speaking with Meredith. That is a very special lady and uh, someone who I can kind of call my friend. I mean, she's she's always been there for me, always had my back and supported me as well. And she's just such a breath of fresh air in that she's yeah. a straight shooter. Yeah, she's she just really is. It, you know she is uh, you know what you see is what you get, and she loves to have a good time. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's just a, she's just a fun person to be around. And she's obviously like a lot of us, you know, we're, it doesn't our life doesn't always go so smoothly. And she's had to deal with some some significant bumps yeah, as well and no. handles them gracefully. She was very candid about some of this stuff. But the suppository story, oh. <laughs> <laughs> was, I don't even I don't know. I, I just I said, eh, I'm going to go there. I, I saw that. I'm like, is that really true? But uh, the, that speaks about her. That she's willing to talk about that openly and publicly and hopefully helping some people who, who might have been confused. And you can see the confusion. I get it. It's just funny in retrospect. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So she's picking uh, Tom Brady for the Super Bowl. Yes. Uh, well, again, she's a New Englander. Yeah. And of course. Um, but at this point, I'm going to withhold predictions because that's going to be our next show. We're going to yeah. focus on the Super Bowl and Super Bowl predictions and hopefully have a guest to give us a little uh, analysis. And anybody I predict, I will go at <laughs> Far enough in advance to say whoever I predict you should bet against. Yeah, well, KC, Tampa Bay, it's uh, Mahomes against that guy named Brady, and we know who the money quarterback is at this point, but then think about what Mahomes did last time. So, they both are, yeah. yeah it's going to be interesting to see. Any last thoughts before we wrap it up for another no, week? This was uh, show number 41. That's a wrap. It was a great show. Sunshine always. Stay safe and stay well, guys. Be good, feel good, and we'll catch you next week. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, preferably five stars, no begging. Uh, we're available also on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.